Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series, Integrity Matters, a K2 Integrity Podcast. This podcast series is business and financial fraud, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. For this series, I'm joined by Joanne Taylor, a managing director at K2 Integrity. Joanne has 20 years of legal investigations and financial crime compliance experience, which includes fraud risk management, anti-bribery and corruption, regulatory enforcement, and fraud investigations experience working within the financial and legal services industries. I'm also joined by Ray Dukey. Ray is a managing director of K2 Integrity's investigation and risk advisory practice. He has more than 25 years experience in compliance, integrity risk monitoring and management, and investigations. His experience spans across industries with specific focus on financial services, life sciences, as well as real estate and construction. Over the next five episodes, we will take a look at the top fraud trends to expect in 2021, the regulatory landscape in 2021 and misconduct, best practices in fraud prevention, how to detect fraud, and responding to fraud once uncovered. Today in part one, I'm joined by Joanne Taylor for top fraud trends to expect in 2021. This five-part K2 Integrity podcast is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back with another episode in the K2 Integrity podcast series. This week, we're going to talk about business and financial fraud today. In this episode, I'm joined by Joanne Taylor. And Joanne, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure as always. So, Joe, today we're taking up top fraud topics to expect in 2021. And I wanted to maybe start with what are some of the trends you're seeing in the coming uh, year or maybe even 18 months out? Well, I guess it's no surprise to say we're seeing an upward trend, firstly. Um, There was a recent ACFE global survey in December 2020 And in that survey, anti-fraud professionals across a range of organizations said they'd noticed an upward trend in fraud over the second half of 2020. And 90% of participants expected that to increase over the next 12 months. And what we're really seeing is a a real pressure on organizations' anti-fraud program, which I think is mainly driven to remote working arrangements. And I think remote working is really here to stay at least in the UK, uh, surveys of businesses indicate that even once the pandemic kind of is uh, hopefully over, um, organisations will be working across a hybrid model of some office working and quite a lot of remote working. And I think that means that organisations really have to take a good old look at their anti-fraud controls. What I'd flag about the remote working environment is that The key risk from an anti-fraud perspective is basically no one's looking over your shoulder, um, except perhaps your housemates. (laughs) So there is the risk of um, people outside the organization getting access to confidential data. Um, But also you have this broader issue around that blurring of the professional with the personal life and perhaps people forgetting uh, really what professional behavior um, means And when you couple that with the pressure on employees to continue to deliver um, in this stressful environment, particularly those in 
say, a sales role or a target-driven role, you can see real incentive for people to um, commit misconduct, you know, across the board, perhaps even broader than than fraud. Um, and I think there's also the position around senior management where, again, pressure to hit sales targets, pressure to show good performance uh, in an uncertain economy means that even corporate leaders may be tempted towards some kind of overstatement, perhaps, of the finances, manipulating uh, profits um, to, to hit targets. Um, and then the final thing I point around the, the organization's risk is cyber-related, because I think when we all went into these lockdowns, people were set up very quickly on laptops and given certain access rights. And perhaps everyone was thinking, well, we'll get back to the office soon. And really, that's just not happened. Um, and so I think that um, we now need to be in a situation where firms need to reflect a, a, around their fraud program broadly and their cyber controls to make sure that, that this environment is um, as risk-free as, as possible. Joe, the, uh, you, put, you put a lot into that, and I, I was really struck by the ACFE report issued in December because, frankly, that was one of the most terrifying ACFE reports I've seen, although uh, you know I read the report to the nations regularly when that's out, but the December one really crystallized many of the, the um, issues that you raised. And also, uh, I wanted to see if, if what you articulated really, uh, we could put that into the fraud triangle so people understand of pressure um, opportunity or pressure rational rationalization and opportunity you articulated the pressure to, to continue um, to sell 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 uh, but I wondered on the the rationalization would you know being at home being alone I'm doing this on my own I'm not being supported is that the type of, of thing that could lead to a rationalization and then the opportunity of course with no one watching over your shoulder uh, does does that the traditional fraud triangle model fit in the times we're in? I think so. I think there's a couple of elements to rationalization. I think one perhaps is maybe employees feeling perhaps a bit detached um, from, from their company. And I think that's why a, a solid em- employee engagement model is so critical, whether that's um, just making sure that people feel plugged into what's happening in the company, regular touch points, training, um, continuing professional development is so important. And then I think another aspect of rationalization is around pe- perhaps, you know, you might have companies who can't pay a bonus this year because they're really struggling. And then the re- rationalization kicks in. Well, I'm not getting my bonus and, you know, my partner's been furloughed or has lost their job and therefore, I've somehow got an entitlement to, you know, to do something naughty. Um, so I think you see that manifesting itself in a, a number of different ways, potentially. There's been a discussion, at least in the United States, around the issue of human capital, but really culture. And it sounds like you're you're really advocating companies need to maintain their culture and perhaps even have additional cultural outreach uh, to try to uh, not simply detect these types of activities or really prevent them. Would that also be a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. And I think when we think about culture, it's tone from the top. 
So it's hearing from your senior leaders about what the expectations are, what the challenges are, and, and how we're expected to behave. I think there's an opportunity to reinforce cultural values through, say, the performance appraisal process that happens often this time of year um, in most organizations. And I also think training is really key. I've seen um, some situations where I think training has dropped off the radar at some organizations because it's considered, well, you know, employees have enough to deal with Zoom calls all day. We can't expect them to also do kind of training on top of that. Um, and also perhaps companies have faced challenges moving what would have been face-to-face training to, to a remote um, uh, rollout. And perhaps that's stalled training. But I, I really think training is so important and it really is important when it comes to um, fraud detection because the stats show us that um, companies that train their staff on fraud detection are more likely to get tips. I had the opportunity to visit with one of your colleagues in an earlier podcast, uh, Ray Dukey, and Ray scared me again uh, when he talked at length about unemployment fraud. But I was wondering what your thoughts are around that issue. But if I could overlay even the greater stimulus to certain industries, particularly healthcare and medical industries um, that have been funded because of the response to the coronavirus. And then, of course, the individuals who have received stimulus checks or other support from the government. How can a company really think through as huge an issue and a huge distribution of monies that we've seen in our lifetimes, uh, or at least for quite some time? Yeah, it's pretty epic, I would say. And I I think when we look at that there are some commonalities really in the abuses that we see both in the US, say in the UK as well, and I'm sure elsewhere in, in other countries. But in the UK, we have this furlough scheme whereby um, employers can furlough um, their staff and, and essentially recoup a, a high proportion of the staff's salary through this scheme. Um, the UK government spent 50 billion uh, pounds on this scheme by that will be as, as at the end of April. Um, and they reckon that, um, there's already been more than three billion pounds of that money has basically been the, stolen through, through fraudulent claims. And of course, we see similar happening in the US, say the state of California confirmed it's paid at least 11 billion, um, of unemployment benefits that, that basically involved a fraudulent claim. Um, in terms more broadly of the, say, the um, PPP, um, pay, Paycheck Protection Program in the US, which again, we have similar in the UK, you've seen individual abuse of that scheme, but you've also seen very well coordinated infiltration, I would call it, of that kind of scheme. Um, we've seen 80 people in the US be charged with stealing more than $250 million um, from that program. So yeah, extensive abuse, I think you see here. And that I think we'll see the fallout from that for, for, for years to come, really. What about in the area of PPE or personal protective equipment, uh, companies that have purchased that for their employees or uh, funds have gone uh, to purchase it, those types of products and it turns out that the suppliers or vendors uh, were engaging in fraud is that something that you have seen in the United Kingdom? 
as a potential fraud risk as well? Yeah, we've seen that, absolutely. And I guess what's also interesting is we've seen um, kind of, I would say, questionable procurement practices around which companies have been selected to provide PPE and to act as middlemen. Um, sometimes also allegations about, you know, favors being done to perhaps uh, friends of people in high places, let's say. Um, so I think that's very interesting, both on the sort of fraud and more broadly on the procurement side of things. Joe, we've talked about some specific types of fraud that you've identified that may be more prevalent in this time. I was wondering if we might be able to, to step back and give companies some more macro guidance on fraud prevention. Um, I don't think it would surprise anyone that at least I would suggest a fraud risk assessment would be very appropriate at this time. Uh, obviously, your business model has changed with working from home. It may change now with uh, return to work. But could you really maybe walk us through two or three steps a company uh, could think about maybe starting with a fraud risk assessment and then moving forward from there? Yeah, absolutely. So I agree with you. The fraud risk assessment is really fundamental to understand, right, where do your risks lie right now? What types of schemes could you be um, the victim of whether it's internal fraud or fraud perpetrated by third parties, such as through um, business email compromise fraud, which is massive. Um, so I think defining those um, schemes up front and then assessing your controls against those um, potential schemes is really important to truly understand your risk. Um, the other point I'd make is, um, another fundamental is to get your whistleblowing program right. So, again, that's the best source of tips for fraud. So it's a real no-brainer in my book to make sure that it the line's working. If you've got a hotline, test it. Um, if you're not getting any calls, ask yourself why that might be the case and consider a, a training and awareness campaign. I think the other aspect when we think about um, potential fraud schemes and kickbacks and so on is should you make your whistleblowing hotline available to your suppliers because if one of your employees is asking for a kickback um, they're going to be asking the supplier so I think that's another way to try to capture potential misconduct going on in your organization. Would it also be an appropriate time to uh, either perform a gap analysis on your internal fraud controls or your financial controls, I guess, or actually test your financial controls to make sure that there there are uh, controls in place? There's a second set of eyes and segregation of duties and all of those basic things that control financial controls bring to a corporation? Absolutely. And I think that is one of the things that might have fallen down with this shift to remote working. How do you do a four eye check? Um, particularly companies that perhaps haven't got a sophisticated kind of workflow tool and perhaps are doing four eye checks, you know, via sort of other more manual uh, means. I think that is a massive risk. And there's a case I really want to talk to you about, Tom, perhaps in our next podcast, um, the National Australia Bank case, whereby it was exactly that. One person had the ability to sign off over up to 20 million Australian dollars worth of uh, invoices um, and without any four eyes, no secondary check. And that's exactly the sort of control failing that needs to be identified through either a risk assessment or through actual testing of, of the four eyes principle. 
Well, Joe, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but it's been a fascinating exploration of some of the top fraud trends to expect in 2020. I hope our audience will join us uh, for our next episode where we look at the regulatory landscape in 2021. And I hope that I will be able to continue the conversation with you. Great. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me today. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the K2 Integrity Podcast, Business and Financial Fraud, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. Check out the resources available on the K2 Integrity website, which is listed in today's show notes. This special five-part podcast series is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks so much for joining us.